0: Eight films have been nominated, but only one will take home the prize. You're listening to the Quest for the Bestest 2021 Oscar Nominees Edition from Backlog Banter. Your hosts are Timo Nelson, Tucker Hazel, Tanner Dykstra, and Abram Buner. You can find more of our content on YouTube and Twitter at Backlog Banter. Hey everybody, welcome back to the quest for the best is from Backlog Banner. We're talking about the best pictures from 2021, the nominees, that is, and today is our eighth and final installment before the big ceremony. And so, of course, we're talking about what is the front runner sort of Nomad Land, yes. directed by Chloe Zhao, starring Francis McDormand, David Straighthairn, and a bunch of non actors. Um and we, well, we're gonna to talk about this movie. I think it's a very interesting movie. Um, and I, I I really have no idea what the rest of the guys think, so, you know, it'll be a good time. But before that, we've got to head back into the past. Last time, we talked about Trial of the Chicago 7, Aaron Sorkin movie, and while we had some gripes, we had some issues, we thought it was overall, you know, kind of middling. I think that's how we, we really described it. And so it ended up in the middle of the list at number four out of seven, um, and we'll see where that, if that's in the top half or the bottom half after today. But... The list as it stands, going into the final episode. Sound of Metal at number one. Judas of the Black Messiah at number two. The Father at three. Trial of the Chicago Seven at four. Promising Young Woman at five. Minari at six. And Mank in last at seventh. So now chores are done. We get to have our fun. What say ye about Nomadland?
1: Uh, first of all, I can't believe that you mispronounced King David Strathairn's name. I can't believe you did that, Timo. Strathairn. Yes, yeah, Strathairn.
2: Interesting. Yeah. Can I ask
3: you a clarifying uh, question quickly? Yeah. Sure. Be- because Timo says something very interesting. What mm. do you mean that only two of the people were actors? Oh, you didn't know? Ah, this is very oh, interesting.
1: Timo or Abram is completely unaware of this of Nomadland. Of I watched this movie basically
3: completely blind.
1: Oh but, wow! For, for the
3: record, yes.
1: Wow.
0: Okay, well, um, we can just answer that right away. The, the movie is based off of a book. So the movie is about Frances McDormand plays Fern. She's a nomad traveling around in her van after the economic recession and after her father's death and uh, after her town is, is dissolved. Her husband's death. Her husband's death, yep, sorry. And after her town gets, you know, no, everyone moves away from there and, and everything leaves. So she just travels around just trying to make a living one way or another in, in the American West. Now, it's based on a book um, and... The characters that are not recognizable as actors, Bob Wells, Linda May, Swanky, all those characters are played. Everyone
1: except, yeah, everyone except Fern and Dave.
0: Yeah, are all played by themselves. Those are the real people that the real of the book is about and that um, essentially tell their story in the movie as nonfiction. Yeah. It,
2: it's an interesting blend
0: of fiction and nonfiction,
2: which yeah, I think cool. is part of the reason this movie is receiving a lot of critical is because it is so naturally integrated. The fictional story of French McDormand's character w- woven in between just essentially vignettes from all these people li- people's lives describing how they became a part of the nomadic lifestyle. And, and they're telling their actual life stories. But you really can't tell I, as – Abram said he watched this blind and he had, he had no way of knowing that. And honestly, yeah. I don't, I don't even remember if I knew that
0: going into it. I think I learned uh, I about it been... after I saw it the yeah. first time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
1: Like that. I do think, think, I think we had the discussion about that when we saw the credits rolling at the end, he's like, Oh, yeah, exactly. That person played themselves. And that person played themselves and, and just on down uh, yeah. the list. <laughs> but yeah, that's, so that's kind of the big conceit of this movie.
2: So yeah. it might, you know, partially reframe yeah. how how you see some of the aspects of the film, but, uh, I mean, it's certainly very interesting,
1: mm-hmm.
2: but I want to hear what you think, Abram. Yeah, yeah, I want to hear what you thought about
1: it.
3: Yeah, so uh, I liked it. I, I think this is this is a hauntingly intimate story um, that is told in a very very quiet way, and uh, to use a, a favorite BLB. Term oh, he's gonna steal
2: was. it from me! No,
0: I really wanted yeah. to say it today. <laughs>
3: But uh, and I think that's actually just bolstered by what you guys just told me. Uh, like I said, I went into the film basically completely blind. Knew it was highly praised. Knew it was nominated, of course. Never seen any trailers, no production history. So I think it's a very disarming experience seeing just how raw the portrayals of these people are, and these long and and very quiet sequences of Francis McDormand just doing things and existing in nature, and and all of these shots. But I think the film for me is a little bit aimless, um, which is which is. Partially by design, but yeah. led to me kind of disconnecting from it. So uh, this is one where I where I really see the strong artistic vision and, and felt it as I was watching it, but didn't leave much of an, an impact. And kind of as we're discussing, I want to try to unpack why that was for me, because I think this is, on the whole, a very expertly
2: assembled film. I think I'm in basically the exact same position. This was my second time seeing it. Uh, we saw it on the big screen the first time, which I think is probably how this movie should be, seen with the big vistas and, and the nature shots all of that stuff really working well on a big screen um but i think this is an incredibly made movie i i think it obviously as abram said has an artistic vision i'm very impressed by chloe jow's directing um but it's a movie where i recognize all the strengths but just don't feel anything personally from it's it i haven't written down in my notes it just isn't what i look for in a movie i mean it doesn't have the things that i go into watching a film for so it just lacks any innate qualities that I connect to. So while I have almost entirely positive notes on my page, it still is going to drop a little bit in my in my personal rankings and personal enjoyment because I don't know how much I felt from it uh, being a an avid film goer,
0: this wasn't exactly what I was looking for. Hmm. Tanner, your thoughts?
1: Um yeah, I, I think this film is extremely personal and it feels very real for obvious reasons. Um, this cinematography is absolutely stunning. I, I love those, you know, those big uh, open, you know, the the the, the Western frontier shots. Uh, I think Chloe Zhao used, makes great use of the sunrise and sunset in her cinematography. Really bathes those shots in a lot in a very like beautiful golden and purple light. Um, I think a lot of the performances, even though they aren't professional actors, you know, outside of uh, Frances McDormand and David Strathairn, the performances from people, especially Bob, uh, is are very moving. Uh, I think they give like these great, uh, these great monologues, uh, and they they feel very personal because they are very personal. And Chloe Zhao was able to capture that on camera from these people who aren't actors who might have otherwise been, you know, a bit stilted, still feeling a bit awkward about portraying themselves on film. Uh, but yeah, I think she does. It, it really goes into that camp of she blurs the lines between just being a a a narrative film and a documentary, and I think it pays off in spades.
0: Yeah, I love almost everything about this movie. I really like it. It's my front runner to show my hand right off the bat here. Um, it's also what I think the Academy is going to pick. I think there's a lot of reasons why this is the best picture winner of this year. Um, I think as a, as a work of art, as an artistic achievement, this blurring the lines and it's it's so smooth and it's so convincing. Just Chloe Zhao deserves so much praise for getting these performances from these non-actors that are so moving and so emotional. Um and you know I've directed people, I've directed friends and whatever and sometimes it's like really hard. People just don't know what to do. And so for her to like be able to come out and just find those nuggets, those like elements and then and it's still it's so real. It's so subtle. The film exudes subtleism. I'm going to throw it in there because I wanted to say that. But Abram Swiped it out from under me. Um, and I, I think, I, I agree, Tanner, the cinematography is just beautiful and I like the pacing and I, I like what it what it has to say and it's like, you know, aimless feel to it. I think the pacing is is very satisfying to me as, as it fits with the rest of the film. It's, it's the right thing. It was the right choice for this movie to have it feel as it does. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think that the pacing and editing is something
2: where I personally don't connect to it a lot. Um, I'm something, who, someone who likes fast editing in my movies. I, I like things that are very clearly tied together. And of course, this does have that, that aimless feel, which is obviously intentional. But I think that's part of the reason it doesn't connect to me is because this, this is a very jumpy movie in terms of time jumps, in terms of total jumps, in terms of con- like what's going on on screen. It, it, a scene will just end and will be somewhere else, different time, she'll be, have traveled across the country. And it does, for me, keep it hard, make it hard to keep track of what's going on. And, and I realized that, you know, it's kind of the point, it, it doesn't really matter when things happen in your life, you know, it's all it's all tied together. There's a, there's a deeper metaphorical theme going on behind why the pacing and editing is done this way. But I did find myself a little bit confused throughout is like, okay, well, you know, if this is just a snippet from someone's life with very little connection to what's going on around it, you know, why should I care too much? Why should I connect to it a lot? Um, and I think that's part of the reason it disconnected from me, even though it's obviously intentional, maybe it just hmm. doesn't
0: hit. On my second watch, I noticed a lot of the, the vignettes and whatnot, especially, uh, you know, the vignettes that happen of Vern's life, but also who, what the other people say in, in the more documentary sections, really do feel like they provide an interesting through line about Fern's character. I think there's a lot to think about in terms of character in this film that is so layered. It's so just s- subtle. I'm, we're going to keep saying it this whole time. Um, that, like, the second time I watched it, I really s- was starting to um, unpack and figure out what was going on, and it made it more enjoyable for me.
3: I'm somewhere between you two because, personally, I don't find Fern to be an especially compelling character. By contrast, I think that this is an incredibly compelling depiction of America's dispossessed people. in this really bizarre, and if you spend any time in in a rural area or a lower-income area, this sense that this film takes place, as you see in the poster, when Avengers Endgame is coming out. But she's... Avengers... Regular Avengers. Regular
2: Avengers? Yeah. Oh,
3: okay, it's the same thing. It, it's a, it's <laughs> a modern day depiction where you don't feel that way. It feels like these people are living sure, yeah, uh, decades into the past. And, and it's this really, I think, honest depiction of how there is a clear cultural and class divide in the country. And I think that the film's ability to capture that outweighs the fact that I didn't really care to follow Ford in particular. I was more interested in where she went and the people she met and what they said, opposed to what she said herself.
0: I feel like in, so I for my TV show, um, I did a review of this and I noted in in the script for that that Fern is a very good sounding board for these characters. Frances McDormand is yeah. a great performer in her ability to just listen. She sits there and she listens and lets these other people's experience wash over her. Um, and I assume, I hope that, I mean, that that would have been a great help on set just to get those takes in the first place, to have a, you know the helpful glance of Francis McDormand sitting across from you.
2: Yeah, and I think that even if uh, I didn't connect to Fern as as Abram saying I'm kind of on the same page with him, she she's interesting, but it's more of the situation that she's in that's interesting rather than her herself. But I do think that the way that she plays off the other characters not only allows them or the you know the people allows them to explain parts of their life in, in a really real way but also it's interesting to see her personality be revealed so slowly throughout the course of the film her the things that she does and in and, effect and her personality who she is as a person are not very clear until you get her talking to other people she's a very quiet and reserved and, and sort of internalized person but through the different interactions with different personalities different aspects of her personality start to emerge and by the end of the film you have a lot better picture of who she is as a person in a way that i think is pretty unique for like revealing, you know, the backstory, the character, the personality of of a character, because you know you, you'll get a lot of films that put a character right out there, and you're and you know exactly what they're like, and you get to see them bouncing off other people, and this is very unique in the way that it it uh, it reveals her personality throughout the course of the whole thing. So it takes a while to get into, but I think there's yeah, there's certainly an interesting character there.
1: Um yeah, extrapolating from what Tucker just said there, trying to find words here a second. Uh, A character moment that I found, uh, I discovered on my on my rewatch of it for this was when um, Fern is on that sort of that nature sort of tour out in the Badlands, which Dave is leading. And they go out and it's it's about evening time. uh, And she like she ventures off from the rest of the group and like goes to that sort of like empty basin that has some like uh, weird uh, rock formations in it. And she's just kind of wandering aimlessly around in there. And uh, when I first watched the movie, I didn't really give much thought to it. But on the sec- on my second watch, and this could be me just pulling too much out of this, but let me know what you guys think. Uh, I think she was looking for, you know, this the something neat that Swanky was talking about when she was like, when, when Swanky was talking to Fern about like, I've seen some really th- neat things in my life and that's why I think I'm ready to die. I think that Fern was looking for those very same, you know, neat things that she can latch on to and think like this is this is why i'm out here i'm no batting and i'm traveling across country and not being rooted down anywhere um i sort of extrapolated that character moment from that scene what are you you guys thoughts on that am i off base here i
0: think i think that scene is is i think i think you're right because it's it's multifaceted in that it talks about also there's this sort of frustrated love plot that goes on between Dave and Fern that I think Mm -hmm. as, as like a frustrated and a, and a unsatisfying in it's, it doesn't, they don't work out. It's very motivated. It really works, especially the second time around seeing it and, and knowing that she is not over the death of her husband and she will, she won't take off that ring. She won't, you know, she's spending her whole life remembering is one of the last lines of the film. And, and, and that like really informs how she's, often she's very reserved more than usual around Dave and, and, and cold at times. And, and there's tension when they're around because you can see his actions, um, you know, trying to woo her or whatever, but it never, it never fully comes around. And I think that that's a, you know, I think that's a good move for the film. And I think it, it really works, um, with her character. And on a second watch, it, it's, To see those two interactions, knowing everything already, um, was, you know, more enjoyable than even the first. I got more out of it. Mm -hmm. I'm
3: curious what you guys think the film is about thematically, because I feel like the film is about six different things. Which is, oh wow, which is, give a list. Not specifically six, but it's in. My point is that the film is is touches on a lot. It touches on this sort of uh, work culture, it touches on personal identity, it touches on the, the love and the loss that we were talking about. And I think part of the reason it felt aimless for me is I, I think some of the, the, the searching, the, the both physical and metaphorical works, but I think on a more thematic level, I don't know if I left the film feeling, okay, this is what Nomadland is trying to tell me. And this is what I'm supposed to leave with. I, I feel like here's, here's a land. I was shown a very beautiful and important landscape with people that do not get their voices heard. But what am I supposed to really hear? Is it about living my life to the fullest? Is it about getting outside of, outside of capitalist work culture? Like, what is the film trying to tell me? Or is it trying to tell me all of it? I think
2: that actually Tanner's, you know, reading of the film and that sp- scene is specific about Fern searching for those neat things to sort of satisfy her her craving for adventure for li- for living life to the fullest. I think that ties into the theme which I took out of it which is mostly mortality and how everyone deals with coming to the end of their life or what they expect to do with their life. Um and, and that, you know, that kind of ties into the work culture cuz work is such a big aspect of what we do in this capitalist society and that ends up being most of our life. And if we spend something spend our time doing something we're not enjoying then you know what's the point so moving away from that and finding what makes you happy and exploring and seeing what's neat that leads to being comfortable with your old mortality like you know uh was it swanky talking about um how she had a book that were like planning to end her life because she you know i think she had a brain cancer at at that point um but uh, how how it all ties together with with mortality and exploration and self-identity i think it's it's all funneling down to a, a core but it's a bunch of themes funneling to one point and maybe it's a little bit hard to pinpoint which one of those themes comes out above for me it's mortality but i think it's it's interesting that the film can be read in so many different ways and i, I think they're all equally as valid i, I don't necessarily think that focus is what this film is going for because as we said it's, it's a little bit aimless it's about people who are intentionally aimless who don't who don't have a home who wander f- for the search of their life so maybe maybe there's a, a triple layer of of deep analysis that you can do here that that's kind of fun
1: uh I- I just i just brewed up a great potentially nonsensical metaphor for this film if i for, may for if audio I may listeners
2: share. uh he he developed a big grin on his face as i was finishing
1: up my tirade there the themes of this film are you ready for this oh, yes yeah, i am man. really re- I, yes are like a plinko board does everyone know what a plinko board is yes Thank sure you. It, yeah because you, you can you can start out at any point at the top and it depends what what points you hit on it what what things you grab onto in the character dialogue or uh, what themes you can extrapolate from the cinematography or what have you. But you, you end up at basically this base level where you can be in five or six different compartments, but they're all uh, at this base level thematic reading of the film.
2: Well, that actually works better than I thought it would.
1: (laughs) Thank you. Vindication, vindication, everyone. I thought I was going to get, I thought I was going to get torn to shreds about that.
2: (laughs) I mean, basically what, what you explained was, was, a visual metaphor of what I was trying to say. With, exactly, you know, it was one core thought, uh, thing, but there's a bunch of things you can bounce off of on your way to the bottom.
0: Yes, Ooh. I think that mm-hmm. um, Abram, you you talked about uh, the film really painting a picture of of the West and of America, and I think that that is is a lot of what I get away from it is is about this like real like visual landscape, you know, like a visual poetry almost to be really really um, highfalutin. <laughs> that it, it, it talks about all these different things, about getting old and about working and working yourself to death and then, and then not wanting to work and trying to just live your life to find the, the moments. And I think that using these dispossessed people, um, especially in, after the economic crash in 2008, um, really shows off a lot about America and about how we think and about like, how it looks. I think the film is a lot about just what you see. And so much of the film is very beautiful, and so much of it is very beautiful in a not traditional way. These, you know, snowed wastelands, the empty factor, you know, the empty mine is not beautiful, but it's shot very beautifully and shows off. And this part of America, this corridor, you know, in in the West, Colorado, uh, Nevada, Utah, the Dakotas, is not a super traveled. Area. It's not super touristy. It's much more, you know, rural, and it's often much poorer. And so, to show off that element too, I think is is very important to this film. And thinking about it as a Chloe Zhao film, a lot of her other films deal with this idea of the American West, neo the neo American West, and what that's like. So that's like part of where she's coming from. Like the 2017s, The Rider, is also Mm -hmm. takes place in Uh, Montana.
1: I think. Speaking of the writer and uh, the, this sort of like the modern American West, I wanted to shout out a personal favorite character of mine, and that is Derek the Cowboy. Like the just the wandering, he's got the lasso and the big, the big mm. rimmed hat. And uh, I just love that guy because he's like, I, I was watching this with um Anna. She, this is the first time that she was watching this, and she's like, people still dress like that. And that, that, ki- the ki- inclusion of that character, who's a real guy, again is just so interesting to me because he's like I had no idea when i first watched this. It. like it's so interesting that somebody like that he's dressed as a cowboy and he just wanders around the american west it's like that guy is so interesting and he has a girlfriend back is back in wisconsin and he can't he's trying to figure out how to write the words to to explain how much he loves her and he just ain't he's just aimless uh, like a lot of the film is and like a lot of the characters in the film are but I just I just grabbed onto him for some reason because and probably mostly because of that reason that Chloe Zhao tackles these ideas of the American West in the modern era and how this guy's like a weird holdover from the cowboy era but he doesn't he just he's just living his life he's living his best life out there. Yeah.
3: I think this film is is actually more universal than that which is why I personally connected to it to an extent because at least up in up in Maine if you go up north enough you find these paper mill towns that are completely ghosted now by by that manufacturing leaving the the country and you you look at sort of the 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 barren remains of that very economically vibrant center like cuz my 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 grandpa was involved in that so we still go up there uh, very infrequently to a to a farm or like a like a lake house i they, they rent up there and so it was so interesting for me to see sort of this universal condition about these almost like scars left behind by the the changing face of of the country and and sort of what what's left behind and what's what's gone so having not seen her previous films um i i took this as a more universal film and i think it's just interesting beyond my my personal feelings about how the film accomplishes what it does seeing these people in stories that are not told it be told in such a a genuine way and be able being able to see something from your own life or from your family's life or your community's life represented here i think is really important and empowering in in a way that you don't typically get from from films like this
2: mm-hmm. yeah i actually do think that and i was thinking about this a little bit earlier when timo was bringing up that this is the front-runner by all intents and purposes for winning best picture and how coming out of this film and saying yeah that was a really good movie but does it does it feel like anything we would have expected to be a front runner for the best picture of the year maybe from a more arthouse perspective but from us having seen 30 plus uh, or you know whatever best picture winners no this feels nothing like any of those <laughs> and it is very surprising and very fresh that it is leading that and it would be really interesting to see this one because it would be such a spin on what the best picture means mm-hmm. um but I also think it's fresh for for the reason of it being a interesting perspective on on the a modern lens. you know, we're watching it in twenty twenty but it's set in t- two thousand and twelve and the idea of honestly seeing Amazon represented in a film as a place that people work like that's just something that doesn't even occur to me to put in a movie because it's like, oh, you know, that's that's too new. like it's it's just something that happens every day. But it is interesting to see this modern aspect of that's just a background of our lives be presented in a uh, More mainstream film, you know, mainstream because it's becoming more popular because it's nominated for Oscars. But just seeing that in general, it was really fresh to see uh, a modern perspective from an alternate perspective.
0: Yeah, I think something that is very interesting to think about Chloe Zhao is that she was born in Beijing. um, And so her background is not american and so i think she brings a very interesting um almost outsider perspective like the way to like show things how they are without the tint of having lived in them for their for your entire life i think she's, sure, she's yeah. very much able to do that in this film and you know i, I know that she's nominated for best director and, and i'm just going to lay it out there she is I think she's so deserving of it for the win. Even if the film doesn't win, I think the accomplishments with this the non-actors and with this this the story here, um I mean they really make it make me see no other option.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um if if no one else has, does anyone else have a raging thing? Because I could just, I just kind of have a a meme thing I want to bring up. But okay. If, does a, anyone else want to be sincere about this movie? Yes, I have a question.
3: I okay. and I don't have an answer to this. Does this movie to you feel pretentious?
1: No, I would I, say no.
0: Yeah, I'd say I, I no. Think,
1: I think team or sorry, Abram. Abram, you said something that really uh really solidifies my answer in that is that. I think it does show these people in with such genuine care and interest in what they actually have to say, what, what they're saying feels so genuine Um with like Linda, with uh, Linda Mays uh, towards the beginning of the film, her talking about her low point and her, her having like 500 some dollars for social security benefits. And Bob talking about not only his mission, but his personal story about losing his son Uh, which I can only presume he lost his son due to uh, the 2008 financial crisis. It all feels so genuine and honest in their portrayal that I don't think it feels pretentious.
2: And I think that has to do with the fact that they're not actors, that these Mm. these are people that she's just essentially capturing the life from. Uh, And it's it's, it's interesting to see her, paint a fictional story from a book intertwined with these people's lives, and and I haven't read the book, and I don't know anything about these people's lives, so I don't know how much of their stories are particularly written for this script, or are are they based off themselves of the book? I don't know what the book is even really about, but um, that would feel pretentious if it was these people portrayed by actors that were written for the idea of, okay, we're going to present these people who don't have their voices heard, but these are the people who don't have their voices heard. They're not rich people who have been in Hollywood for 20 years acting as people who don't have their voices heard. Of course, friends McDormand, notwithstanding, which, you know, maybe there's a little bit weird with that, with her playing this kind of character. But uh, I think that's why it doesn't feel pretentious is these people are actually telling
0: their story. So it, there's not a Hollywood veneer on top of it.
1: Mm-hmm. That's um, a good point
0: that it doesn't, it doesn't have the Hollywood veneer. I was just going to say that, um, I I don't really view documentaries as a very pretentious genre of film, and this film feels like a documentary a lot. There are shots. I, I especially think of the last sequence with Bob, where he's talking, and it, it the way it's framed and the way he talks and the camera just holds on him as he speaks for you know minutes upon minutes. Just feels something straight out of you know like a world class documentary that mm-hmm. um, will win you know one of the ones that's going to win best documentary this year. Uh it feels like something like that. And that uh, in itself, you know, that that authenticity and that like, you know, I guess respect for the truth that comes with the documentary makes the makes this film, which I'm gonna say is fiction, um, makes yeah. it feel very genuine and very down to earth. It's a very down to earth film.
1: Yeah. Um I one more, another point that I just thought of is that it's it's it does feel sad and melancholy, but it doesn't feel like she wants you to really like we're showing you this to just punch you in the heart we want you to pity these people so much it doesn't feel yeah. like that because these people have had you know horrible experiences in their past life but they are just they're just living their like I said about Derek, they're just living their lives now they're living their best life they're you know they they're seeing neat things they're traveling the country and this is what they love doing and they've, they've freed themselves from the the yoke of what what did Bob say? The yoke of work or society. Like yeah, sure. <laughs> but uh I think there is it, it also shows this as sort of a, a noble pursuit as well. And it doesn't want, doesn't feel like a pity party for these people.
0: Yeah, there's the whole sequence with the other with the family of Fern of, mm-hmm. of Fern and the family of Dave, where it's very clear that this is not something that she's forced into. It's something that she accepts and wants to be. She wants to be the nomad, and that's who she is. And it's not a judgment on her, and it's it's just who Fern is. Yeah,
3: yeah. I I, I described the film uh, in my opening remarks as as feeling intimate, and and I agree uh, with this this documentarian feel. I think any of these these close ups. I really love the the scene early on in the film around the campfire where they're all just mm-hmm. sharing. Their stories, I think these moments do feel very intimate and very genuine. I'm g- grappling with, and I can't decide exactly where I land on it, whether Francis McDormand and Fern and these these more subtle, f- subtle long takes, if that feels pretentious to me. I don't know how I feel about the intersection between Fern and, and these other people because I almost would have just wanted Land the documentary. I do think, yeah. for me, there is this element. I do think that there is an element of the Hollywood veneer and in these sweeping nature shots and these long scenes of of Fern doing things. And I just, I don't know if for me that takes away from the, the how genuine these real people feel. I, I feel like there there is a sort of mediation in the in the blend of fiction and nonfiction that for me dulls a little bit. What is a very impactful film, and I don't think it's enough for me to be anywhere short of 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 liking Nomadland. But I, I I wonder if I would have liked it more and felt that it was completely honest had it
2: just been a documentary. I've got to be honest. You you've, you've unlocked something in my brain here. Is that through talking about this film the last you know thirty plus minutes, whatever we've talked about the fictional aspects of it are not the important aspects of this film. It's showing the life that these people lead. It's the idea that we're seeing something that is actually happening in the background of our our culture. It's the idea of seeing these shots of areas that aren't traditionally presented in a beautiful way. But Fern's story, at least in my mind, and I think in the way we're analyzing the film, is, is not the centerpiece of it. And I do think that it would have still been equally as compelling and interesting if it was just a documentary you still would get those sweeping vista shots and stuff because you know that way i want to show where these people are going you know that those places actually existed it's not like they came up with those not sets um and and so much of the sh- of the shots and the conversations are just these people doing these monologues which you could also get in a documentary and while fern is an interesting character in the way that she represents one of these people from this time period in this situation. She's, she's honestly not the core of the movie. And I, and I think that's pretty interesting that, uh, we can analyze this narrative featured, uh, you know, highly acclaimed film and the, the fictional part of it is not what's important. Hmm. At least is my eyes.
0: Yeah. I, I'm not sure I entirely agree with, with you there that I think the fictional story, um, brings out, you know, like we've been talking about all these different thematic elements. It brings out more of those elements. We hear the characters talking, you know, it allows Fern to be the foil for the characters that, that the fiction, the the real-life characters that talk, whereas Fern does. Fern is, is an active character in the film, and we see her working at Amazon. We see her working at Waldrug. We see her making decisions about going to, um, you know, sleep in her camper sleep in her van instead of in the house when um you know when they're at at the at dave's family and so and and there's all the elements of her backstory and that she you know overcoming loss and grief um it i think it adds it adds to the film and adds these other thematic elements in a in a meaningful way whereas in a documentary i think it would be much more focused on like the the reality of the situation. Whereas, you know, getting food, getting electricity is not, like, super important to this story um, because it's fiction.
1: Mm. Yeah. Meantime, time,
0: Tanner?
1: <laughs> Yes, I think it is. And, uh, and let's, uh, I, I, we've been very serious as an entire review, but uh, I, I, there's something even more serious and even more important that I need to bring up. And that is, of course, the appearance, maybe the first time ever, put the screen of the most magical the 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 spit it out Jesus Christ thing what is it called the most magical place on earth and that is not Disneyland or Disney World it's Wall Drug okay it's Wall Drug in South Dakota. What a beautiful, what a beautiful realm you're transported into when you go to Wall Drug. I've been I've been frozen, but uh, if you can see the the grin on my face when talking about <laughs> And talking about Wall Drug, boys. Uh, Abram, you've probably never been there. I know Tucker hasn't been there. Timo, has I've never been to, been wall, to drug? wall Drug. You haven't been to Wall Drug? Listen, where is Dude, it? What a South- terrible name for a place. Where is it in South well, Dakota? It's in western South Dakota. Well, I've only been the, in
0: eastern South Dakota
1: because <laughs> it's because it's near the Badlands. Oh yeah. Well, and the reason it's called Wall Drug, and this, hang on a second. Now this, this and this serves the sort of crux of the film is that it is this holdover that's become a tourist attraction it's this holdover from the frontier the pioneer era it was basically an old-timey saloon you know pharmacy pick up your goods and go kind of place and now it's become the world's greatest tourist <coughs> attraction <laughs> if you ever if you were ever wondering how to get how to get to well drug fear not ladies and gentlemen because the roads in the Midwest will remind you roughly every 20 to 40 miles how far it is to Wall Drug, okay? There are billboards posted everywhere. It's like, hey, you're only 237 miles away from Wall Drug. And let me tell you, did, did anyone else feel wrapped up and in, enraptured in in, in, in in the mood surrounding Wall Drug in this movie? I did. You Jesus got see, Christ! You got to see some alligators. You got to see the planet Jupiter. You got to see a modeled version of Mount Rushmore. And boy howdy, I think audiences would have left the theater, much like they did uh, with the arrival of a train at a station, if they put to Jesus screen Christ. the famed penny smushing machines, in which you put in a penny, and then you crank it, and it comes out elongated with a pattern printed on it.
0: Abram Abram is wiping his eyes. He's dying so hard right now. Oh boy, that's exactly what this review needed. So Thank you. You're exactly right. Well, that was very interesting. I've received yeah. some vote, vote, one vote just, from yeah, Abram.
1: I, I wanted to take a, a moment to rival uh, Timo's mank sound review with my own. <laughs> no matter the wall Jesus drug, <laughs> wall drug rant. The wall drug rant. Everyone loves it. <laughs> <laughs> There we go. Okay. Um. There's something else I was. There. Oh, this something this movie also nails is the just weird non-sequitur, random deep encounters old people will find themselves just in. Like I don't know if if anyone's ever interacted with an old person, especially one. <laughs> time time. I've, yeah. yeah. Especially one that you'll just meet on the street, they will just start talking to you. Like that one lady who talks to Fern about, like, oh, your ring, and it's a, it's a symbol of your everlasting marriage with your husband, and they call you nomads. That's just what old people are like. They're weird like that. that the, the, the oh, this film yeah, is,
0: is a very. Okay, well, I've got the number. Are you ready for it? It's a very simple number. It's two and three quarters.
1: Oh, wow. Platform and Harry Potter.
0: <laughs> no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's that, three quarters. That uh, puts uh-huh. it at number three. Now, okay. the, the vote breakdown goes as such. I put it at number one, Tanner put it at number two, Abram put it at number three, and Tucker put it at number five. Mm. Yep. So, that's very interesting. I have to say I'm a little disappointed. Well.
1: Well, um, I mean, I, I'm fine with number three, quite honestly. I was honestly debating whether to put it at number two or three. But uh, after the discussion, I realized that some people weren't as high on it I was. So I played some strategy, played some tactics and decided to go with number two, which was a possibility in my mind from the first from the from the beginning. So.
2: See, I actually I I kind of did the opposite it is that I started and I have the note on the back of my page This is what I wrote right at the beginning. I was going to put it at number seventh place mm. uh, just because when I come in, when I come out of this movie and I've watched it and I've seen it twice. I think yeah, this is a really good movie. But I, do I do I care that much? Is it anything what I'm looking for out of a movie? Do I feel like it has the, the the character or the pacing or you know the content that I enjoy seeing a film? Not particularly. While I'm able to talk about all the merits and and I do believe that my my vote went up to number five, seven. I was that was my initial placement. I I bumped it up two places above my favorite of the year, which is Promising Young Woman. Because I was like, okay, I, I recognize this film's merit. Five sounds pretty reasonable, but I, I just, I, I don't, know, I just don't
0: connect to this film in any particular way. And Tucker, uh, I have Tucker is a famous disconnector. He, he, he's yeah. like, it's, just, you, you can Tucker never says, know what's going to connect with him. And well, I guess Land just rolled the wrong number on the dice.
1: Tucker says, objective artistic value, <laughs> be damned. It's about, it's all about me, me, me.
0: So
3: sure. I I I'm somewhere in the middle there because I my number third placement is is completely due to the the strength of the artistic voice and the uniqueness of the subject material and how okay. honestly it's depicted. On the whole, I more think about it, I do find the film a little pretentious. But for me also I only really like prior prior to this two of the nominees. So it wasn't very <laughs> difficult this in the top half for me. But I, I think that the the ability of of the narrative films we have above it being Sound of Metal and and Judas and the Black Messiah to tell the stories they do with the the impact they have and the amount of love and something like Judas depicting an, an equally underrepresented important American historical element through its own lens through its style I think that for me is is a bigger achievement than Nomadland where from my perspective I feel like it's the it's the framing of the of the um, fictional elements that hold back the story to an extent. Yeah, I I think three is for me a, a pretty solid middle ground between the, the various tensions we've been discussing, and I wouldn't put it any higher. I I don't think it should go any lower. Partially because I just really don't like the father and don't want to <laughs> have that that victory. But I think three is a good spot for the
0: film.
1: Hmm, okay.
0: Hmm. Well, I guess I guess I'll just have to settle and and be sad yeah. about it. That's you know, that's okay. Higher, so. I can't I can't put it any higher. I mean, I it's. It, I, it's my favorite of the, of of the eight that we've seen. Um I think it's I I think it's a seriously good movie and I think it does some really interesting stuff um with this this blending the lines that we've been talking about the whole time. But, you know, there that's 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 the way the cookie crumbles as as mm-hmm. I'll say right now. So, did you come up with that? It's great. Yeah, it's, it's almost like time. that's a phrase that exists already. That's the way the
1: cookie crumbles.
0: The wall drug cookie crumbles. Oh, I wish wall drug would crumble. We wouldn't have to talk about no! it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what about the big wall drug dinosaur? You guys didn't think that was cool?
0: I thought the dinosaur was cool. I there such a big dinosaur there. there 80 were big, feet tall. Big dinosaurs
1: in South Dakota, that's why. Yeah. You guys, have you guys ever seen something bigger than 80 feet?
2: No. Oh, I've been in New York. There's some big buildings there. <laughs>
1: How tall? Or bigger than a big old dinosaur?
2: <laughs> bigger than eighty feet? Ugh, it's a tough one. The Empire State Building. Yeah.
1: Timo and the show. Okay. Well, I don't need we to all talk slander. Okay.
0: No Man Land ends up at the number third place, sandwiched in between Judas and the Father. So we will see. We'll be back next time after the ceremony. Catch. We got some. Sarah, we got some prep Oscar stuff. We're really going to nail down our picks for the other categories. Um, but. Does that mean that our pick for the best picture is Sound of Metal as as a collective, as a quest governing body? Certainly so. I, it's I, my I, favorite.
1: I certainly think it is the I, I think it is the best of the bunch.
0: There we go. You know, I'm going to say that even though I wish I wish we were saying Nomadland, I'm also quite happy with saying Sound of Metal because <laughs> that's a great movie. We really love that yeah. one. Um, we'll be back. Keep a lookout for more Oscars content. We're going to be talking about all kinds of good stuff before and after the ceremony and the next time you hear us talk about a movie we will have spun that random wheel it's coming back uh, it's been a lot it's been far too long i really miss not only do i miss this this the spin that glorious rotating motion but mm-hmm. that glorious rotating phrase that goes around inside my head that our friend tanner sings for us so Every time. we'll be back with that uh once the ceremony's done Enjoy watching the Oscars, everybody. I'm going to enjoy watching the Oscars. Who knows what they're going to be like this year? And, uh, well, we'll catch you all on the flip side. Peace.